Digital Marketing Radio, episode 256. Three tips to improve your copywriting without being salesy. Digital Marketing Radio with David Bain. Hi, I'm David Bain and this is Digital Marketing Radio, the podcast and YouTube show for in-house agency and entrepreneurial marketers who want to stay on top of the latest tools, tactics and trends as shared by today's modern marketing masters. Have you ever had to write web copy and caught yourself sounding like a used car salesman? Maybe you haven't had the experience at writing your own website copy and you want to make sure that your content's compelling. Joining me to share three tips to improve your copywriting on episode 256 of Digital Marketing Radio is a lady who earned her sales and marketing stripes working in direct sales for five years. Nowadays, she uses her retention-focused acquisition strategies with conversion copywriting to help SaaS, e-commerce and tech businesses drive crazy good growth at every customer touchpoint. Welcome to DMR, Eden Bidani. Hi, David. Thanks so much for having me. Hi, Adam. Well, thanks so much for, for coming on. I just want to say you can find you over at greenlightcopy.com. So I, I'm seeing, um, Eden, a, a lot of video uh, out there at the moment on sales, page, on sales pages and landing pages. Um, does that mean that copy isn't important anymore or is, is copy just as important as it ever was? I think copy is just as important as it ever is. I mean, yes, I'm biased, but <laughs> I think copy is not just about the actual words itself. And this is where I think there's that still why copywriters or writers should not be afraid of sort of AI-assisted bots and things like that or automatic um, copywriting or transcribing services, things like that, simply because there's you can input information and it might spit copy out, but what's really truly at the heart of copywriting is forming the strategy. It's which messages do prospects need to hear at what at what and at what point in their customer journey or their funnel to actually help them move from one stage to the next, to actually make take that next step to take the action and to feel empowered and happy and you know very satisfied by doing that. So there's a and there's a lot of research and there's a lot of strategy that goes into that. It's not just about spinning words together that is part that is part of it but when you actually look at it in terms of copywriting specifically conversion copywriting that research and strategy is 80 percent of the process the writing is just that is that 20 percent at the end so how do you know what type of writing to include in different places i mean what's the difference for instance between a blog post and writing a web page designed to drive sales interest um, the format impacts on how the copy or how the content is going to be read. So if you think of from the point of the user, when someone clicks and lands on a blog post, they know they're going to be doing some heavy reading. When someone lands on a landing page, it's you know it's their um, it's their intuition. They come to a landing page and they know they're going to see sections of copy. Each section is going to have a certain amount of information. There's going to be certain sections on the page. There'll be things that they're looking for and things that they expect almost to see in a blog post as well. They'll expect to see an introduction. They'll expect to see supporting evidence. They'll expect to see some images um, some bullet points and things like that. They'll expect to see a conclusion. So there's users nowadays and people, you know, anyone online have different expectations of what they're going to see. There are different ways that we read and engage that information, um, engage with that information that's on each page. So in terms of finding out what messages or what actually needs to go on the page that's something that's found <clears throat> sorry that's something that's 
um, that we come up with during the research process. Actually figure out what prospects, where prospects are, are now in terms of their journey, what the, what the goal of the piece is meant to be doing, whether it is to drive awareness, whether it's to get them to perform an action, like to sign up for an email newsletter or to sign up for a free um, free trial of something or even to buy a product um, at the end of the page. And we, you know, we find we find that uh, we source those messages from within the research and then are able to piece it together. I think Eugene Schwartz once said copy is not um, is not I'm so sorry, so a copy is not written, it is, it is assembled. Okay. So it's actually you're taking all these pieces of information together and assembling it in a format that makes sense for the reader and how they're reading it, but then as well it contains enough information and at the same time is subtly persuasive enough to actually move them to a point where they're ready to take that next step. I like that, I like that. Um, I mean, I put together a couple of books and it, it would have been impossible just to start writing. You have to start with your chapters first, um, or, or certainly I did anyway. And I, I guess it makes complete sense to do the same thing with, um, with with web copy as well. So today we're looking very specifically at three tips that you're going to share. So what is tip number one? All right. So tip number one is to write copy that matches your customer's voice, your customer's natural voice or natural way of communicating as closely as possible. The, the, and this um, this is something that comes from um, what we know from anthropology. So if you communicate with people in a way that's familiar to them, they'll be more receptive to you when you have when you have a message or you have something that you want to share with them. So first off, you need to show the prospects that you understand them. And by doing that, you can use the subtle nuances in the language, in the in the words, in the way you write, in the rhythm of how the things are pieced together to actually communicate that on a subtle level. So how do you find out who the customer is? Do you do, you do some kind of focus group? Do you, do you phone people up? Do you just ask um, whichever firm you're writing for what the average customer looks like? So first of all, so first of all, that's part that's and that's part of the research process. So often, um, often the company should have a fairly good idea of what their customer is like, but we also do extensive customer research as part of that. So we do actually conduct surveys. We'll actually conduct one-on-one customer interviews to actually listen as much as possible to listen to who these customers are, try to understand them, understand how they think, understand how they like to express themselves, and kind of those common phrases or words. Um, or what we call sticky copy, things that really stick out, these really highly charged or emotional statements or unique ways of expressing concepts that you couldn't actually create off the top of your head. So when you so you actually source those directly from the customers themselves, or you source it anonymous, anonymously by going to online forums and things like that. Um, like Reddit or Facebook groups and things where you can actually pick up and just immerse yourself in the environment and listen to how um, or read how people are communicating with each other and then try make sure that translates over into the final product because that's going to make people feel at ease from the minute that they're reading. It's very different, you know, if you think the traditional salesman coming in and wedging their foot in the front door, it's something very, it's something very aggressive and it feels very forced. It feels like they're coming to you know, conquer something. But whereas if you start a conversation and you're talking to someone on eye level, it sounds like conversation you'd have at a networking event or at a party or, you know, sitting down with a friend over coffee. And they, that first of all puts them at ease and also makes them feel comfortable with listening to what you have to say because you've shown them that you understand them. 
I love that. And I, I, I love your suggestion of finding very specific phraseology that maybe certain industries or certain types of people will use. And perhaps a copywriter may not be aware of that at all. So very important research to be doing. That's number one. So, so what's number two? So number two is to try and counteract objections in the body of the copy. So, you know, as as any of us goes through and makes a purchase decision, we all have these questions that we ask ourselves. You know, what what is it like? What does it do? How does it function? You know, no matter what the product offer it is, it could be a service, it could be a physical product, it could be software. You know, we all have these questions. How do I sign up? Uh, what's the next step? You know, what am I going to experience? You know, what is this going to give me? How much does it cost? You know, we all have um, different types of questions. Those questions will uh, will be defined by what piece of content or what piece of copy it is and where it sits in terms of the, the general customer journey or the funnel, if you look at it that way. But you can help counteract some of those objections that they're, that they're coming up, counteract those questions by already answering them in the body of the copy. So during the research, you'll actually hear what they, you ask them questions, um, you can ask customers questions like, so what was there anything you struggled with during the sign-up process? And they'll say, oh, yeah, I str- I found this hard. I couldn't find the button. I couldn't do this. I couldn't do that. So in your explanation of how to sign up, instead of going to going to, to product or going to the dev team and say, you need to fix A, B, and C, you can simply put in the copy, this is how it works. Make sure you look out for click on X button. That's on the right-hand side. So you can actually translate things and show them that what you're promising them and what they're actually going to get on the other side of the page or the other side of the button is actually the same. And that's going to create a lot of trust. That's going to give them a lot of confidence in their decision to to convert as well. Wonderful. And those objections, potential objections, sound fairly common, sound the same for any type of business. Is that the case or do objections tend to differ quite significantly depending on the type of business that you're writing for? It does depend a lot on the different types of business, the different type. It depends a lot on the offer as well, what the offer is. If it's, you know, if someone is offering a coaching program versus if someone's offering, um, you know, a SaaS SaaS product, it's, they're going to have very different questions, but essentially there's a minimum, there's kind of a minimum amount of information that everyone wants to know. Some people won't need all that information. I mean, there are, you know, people have different personalities. Some people are all right to skim through a page and pick up, cherry pick a couple of pieces of information, go, yeah, that's enough for me. And they're happy to convert while other people do need everything laid out for them clearly and logically. And they need that to give that confidence in order to help them to convert. So if you have that information available for them, whether they read it or not, it's still there. And then it's still, it also serves to help build trust and and to gather their faith you know, in you and the, valid, the validity of the offer and what you're offering and what you're selling them. Love that. Um, so integrate the countering of objections into your copy. So that's number two. What is tip number three? And tip number three is to focus on using as little jargon as possible, to really use as little jargon. You don't want to use any jargon, any buzzwords. The only exception is that if audience and again this comes back to the research if the people you speak you've spoken with or the customers you see that they use these buzzwords or jargon in communicating between themselves then it's okay to include some of them but a lot of what companies do is they struggle with with communicating what they really do so or they talk about all the features of what they do which is often very dry you know dimension size how it functions um, you know, or all the different elements of a product, or they'll talk only about the benefits 
So it's going to transform your life. You know, you're going to live the, you're going to live this wonderful stress-free life. You'll be happy waking up every morning, but then they don't actually tell you what the product is or what it does or what the service is. So they can they can struggle doing both. And when you mm. focus on removing the jargon, so it's what do you have that's left. So you're looking at um, looking at explaining what you do and what you have and what the product is and how it's benefiting them in the simplest terms as possible so that it's very, very clear. Even if the audience is quite sophisticated, it can really help them understand very quickly what you have to offer is, it can benefit them. So is it ever a good idea for someone within the business who's not a specialist copywriter to be doing the copywriting or is it always better to have a, a specialist come in and do it? Well, see, marketers, by def definition, anything the marketer writes is copy because marketers have that perspective that they're coming in and they're, you know, each piece they know is meant to fill a certain objective. Whereas with content writing or content strategy, usually it's something that's a lot more fluid. It's um, something that's a lot more fluid and flexible. And it's a, it's a very, di it's a different word altogether and all the power to the content writers out there. They're amazing. <laughs> but um, marketers by nature, what they do, what they write is copy. So it's ad copy, it's website copy, or it's an ebook or a blog post that's driving people to take a certain action or to move them, um, you know, to move them in some, in some way or another to one, from one point of the funnel to the other, or one point in the customer journey to the other. So I mean, marketers can get help from copywriters, but um, that marketers are usually very, very good at least at doing at doing the legwork. What's what's tricky for marketers because they usually don't they don't necessarily always have that time to go in and do that in depth research um, to you know up up front to really or to always speak with the customer. Some companies do, and it's great. Some companies might have the UX team doing that, or user research team, or customer success doing that and then sometimes it's just a matter of connecting those silos together to let the marketers have that access to that information which will help improve their own copy. So is there an ideal length of copy? Do you have to have a copy be a certain length so that you're covering everything that, that you want to cover including all of the potential objections or is it possible just to be very short and succinct and is that indeed sometimes better in an environment when people have fairly short attention spans? Um, it's 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 kind of like the question: How long is this? You know, how long is a piece of string? Copy is should be only as long as it needs to be, needs to be to get its point across. Mm -hmm. So, if you have a complicated product or service, you have an audience who is mostly unaware in terms of their stage of awareness. They're going to need a lot of explaining first about what the topic is, how it's beneficial to them, and you know, and then actually to start persuading them on why you know why this your company is the best company to actually offer this solution for them. They'll, they'll need a lot of priming and a lot of explanation um, to help get them from one from one point to, you know, from the point of unaware to actually to a point where they're going to convert. Mm. Or whereas if you're looking at um, if you're looking at someone that's closer to the bottom of the funnel and they're they're really warmed up, they've got very high level of you know, very high interest in the product, they only need a couple of nudges or a couple of small reminders about why you know, why you, why your product and why, um, you know, why it's great to act now, you know, and to, and to not um, delay converting to another point in time. So it depends. So it does depend if um, it depends, again, on their, on their stage of awareness, a lot of it in terms of how long your copy should be. So we're talking a little bit to begin with, uh, before we started to record about uh, the pump and funnel model that I'm 
developing. And I was just mm-hmm. wondering if you could possibly um, share your thoughts on perhaps the difference between the copy required um, at the early stage of the funnel, um, when you're perhaps publishing great, incredible hero pieces of content where people have only discovered your brand for the first time and you're making them subtly aware of, I guess, what else you do as a business compared with um, your more conventional sales pages or, or product information mm-hmm. pages. So so how much can you get away with selling in that initial touch point? So again, in terms of how much selling, when you're looking at the top of the funnel, there is and how much awareness a prospect has of who you are um, and what you do. The, the primary selling selling that you're going to do in the first um, at the top of the funnel is building trust with the prospect, building trust with the audience, and that's by providing um, educational content. That's through that's executed through the content that the um, you know that's delivered. So, so in terms of and in terms of connecting that back to your product. It's only once they've once they've reached the bottom or the end of the piece really that you can actually make that it's right to usually make a plug for your own product or service. Once you've actually delivered the value up front, you've convinced them that you've got something valuable to offer. You're not just pitching them a product, but at the end you can make draw the connection towards that in your product. That's something that's usually that people are usually very receptive to to hearing and listening to. If you start off a you know, if you start off a blog piece and the first product listed is your own. People are going to go. A lot of people will often click away from the blog post because they'll feel that it's very, um, that it's very, <laughs> that it's. Um, they will definitely feel that they're trying to be sold, and so they will edge away from it very quickly. Whereas at the bottom of the funnel, you can focus more on the product. You can focus on the, the customer and the transformation that they will get as a result of purchasing uh, the product or the offer that you have. Again, so the bottom of the funnel will be more, you will be selling not necessarily the product, you'll be selling uh, the dream or the promise that comes with the product. So again, what how their life will change for the better once they've actually, um, once they've made the purchase or once they've clicked through or signed up. Makes total sense. I love it. Yeah. And I think a lot of, um, and I often compare content to podcasts because that's what I focus in on. And I think a lot of podcasts start off with a minute of this is who we are, this is what we do. Um, uh, And it switches people off. Uh, And if people actually get through that minute, then immediately they're feeling, okay, what else are you going to try and sell me over this podcast instead of actually focusing on the content? So deliver high quality content, first of all. And then if you produce a podcast episode towards the end of it, and people like what you do, they'll want to find out more about what you do and perhaps what products or services you offer. Absolutely. It's it's funny. It actually happened to me earlier on this year. I actually presented at a conference and I forgot to pitch myself. I literally didn't include it. I just went straight for the value. And when I, <laughs> and I had someone send me a message after said, I loved how you didn't pitch yourself at the beginning. I went, oh, was I supposed to do that? Um, <laughs> but actually, I ended up getting really good feedback actually from the talk because people said, yeah, you just went straight for the value. Interesting. Um, in terms of that, that was actually, that was an yeah. accident. But um, but it's in line with my, with my personal philosophy. I think if you have to be comfortable with sharing value upfront, value is what people are looking for. Value is what make will what will at value is what will make people listen to you. At the end Absolutely, of the day. love that. And I can compare it with LinkedIn 
connection requests and what people say as well but let's not go down that that rabbit hole (laughs) let's segue to part two of our discussion so it's now time for edin's thoughts on the state of digital marketing today so starting off with secret software so edin share a lesser known martech tool that's bringing a lot of value at the moment and why that tool is important for you well, I have two actually. It's really hard to choose between them. My first, uh, the first one that I love to use at the moment is Draftium. It's a wireframing and prototyping tool. So, as a copywriter, I like to build out um, or a kind of a scope or an idea of how the page or how the copy will be presented. Because as we discussed, the format impacts how the copy is read. How it's for, um, how the copy is formatted impacts on how the copy is read. So, I like to. Um, it's super fast. It's super light. I love how it does everything in grayscale, so you're not mucking around with colors and things like that, but you're just focusing on how things are laid out in order to help people absorb the content, um, you know, in the best way in the best way possible. Um, and the second one is called Attention Insight. It's um, it's a predictive uh, heat map analytics tool. So, um, and I absolutely love it. So you can actually check. Um, you can check uh, concepts, you can check creators, you can check landing pages, website, um, hero sections, things like that, and see more or less, get an idea of how they would perform in terms of eye tracking attention analytics, um, but without um, but without actually having to send it to focus groups or Wonderful. send it for user testing. And both of those tools are very easy to find as well. The domain names are exactly as you would imagine. Draftium has a, a free freemium model, so they've got a, um, a a free start certainly as well. So two great um, resources there. Thanks for sharing that. But uh, let's move on to something that you, uh, from something that you currently use to something that you're going to use. So that is next on the list. So what's one marketing activity or tool that you haven't tried yet, but you want to test soon? Um, I'm actually going to get into email marketing very soon. It's been something on my to-do list for a very long time. Um, and I do it for my clients, but I don't do it for myself. You know, kind of the story of the shoemaker's kid goes barefoot. Um, and so what, I'm looking what, what, forward to the What frequency it. and just overview of content do you intend to publish? Um, I'm thinking I'm thinking almost a bi-weekly or a once-a-month newsletter, but something that's really packed. I think we find... First of all, it's very, very difficult to get into people's inboxes. Second, the fact that even people send emails frequently often doesn't mean that they'll get read. I mean, just people's time is so precious. And um, I'm thinking from I'm thinking just from my own experience, but I know this is something that people are saying they'd much rather read one piece a month or a piece every couple of weeks that's really packed with with useful information rather than get this drip, kind of this constant drip all the time into their inbox. Yeah, definitely. I, I think people are after quality and they're, they're quite comfortable with it being once a month and they'll remember you if, if you deliver something of high quality. So I think you're absolutely spot on there. Let, let's let's move on to the this or that round. So this is the quick response round. Ten quick questions. Just two rules here. Try not to think about the answer too much and you're only allowed to say the word yeah. both on one occasion. So use it wisely. Are oh, you ready? Okay. All right. Yes. <laughs> TikTok or Twitter? TikTok. Facebook or LinkedIn? LinkedIn. YouTube or podcast? YouTube. Traffic or leads? Leads. Paid search or SEO? Paid search. Ads or influencers? Sorry, what's that? What, and influencers? Ads or influencers? Both. Google ads or Facebook ads? 
Facebook ads. Email marketing or chat marketing? Email marketing. MarTech stack or all-in-one platform? MarTech stack. And one-to-one or scale? Uh, (laughs) One-to-one. I don't think we had a both on ads or influencers before. Um, Are are you actively using both at the moment or, or why did you give that answer? Uh, no, but I think each one can help um, accelerate the other. I think when you're looking at running paid ads, it's very difficult if you're just starting out unless you have a really warmed up ad account or you have extremely talented media buyers. I know that's something it's a struggle for a lot of people. Influencers on the other hand as well, it's I see it as a combined approach. I think influencers can bring in traffic um, from different sources and it doesn't, um, you know, to fill, to fill that funnel and they can and they can help boost the effectiveness of paid ads. So when if people see a product in an influencer's hand and then they'll see an advert, they'll be more likely to click on it, not just directly through the influencer, but it pays off in terms of the paid ads that you're running as well and vice versa. So if you, they see a paid ad and then they see an influencer talking about this product that they've, that they've seen an ad for recently, so they go, oh, okay, so it kind of they start there, you know, like that light bulb moment. They go, this is something that I might want to check out. Okay, well, let's move on to the $10,000 question. If I were to give you $10,000 and you had to spend it over the next few days in a single thing to grow your business, what would you spend it on and how would you measure success? Um, I would invest in building a really solid website. I think the website these days is it's your online business. It's your calling card. It's where people come to learn, to get an idea of who you are, what you do and how you how you help them and you know, you can also include so many more capabilities within the body of the website with interactive content these days. Um, you mentioned as well as only chat marketing, um, you know, lead generation forms. There are lots of different ways and even just um, top of funnel content. All of that can be housed within the body of the website. And it's almost like its own um Almost like if you think a TV channel or a podcast channel, you come there and there's all this wonderful information. But you can drive traffic there in, in all sorts of different ways. But I think if you don't have a really good, strong website, anywhere, any of that traffic coming through is just going to get lost. I think, it's a, I, I think it's a waste. I hear a lot of people trying to drive traffic and then you look at their website and, well, you know, they're spending thousands and thousands um, every month on paid ads. But then you take a look at their website and you're saying, well, website is not actually set up well to receive that traffic coming to it. I think you need to take care of the core, that core first before you can do anything else. Would you use WordPress or something else? Um, it's a good question. I'm not sure. I am a fan of WordPress, but I know there's a lot of great options out there. Okay. I'm not 100% sure. <laughs> that's, that's, that's okay. Okay, well, let's um, change course by focusing on someone else who deserves it. So that is a magical marketer. So who's an up-and-coming marketer that you'd like to give a shout out to? What can we learn from them and where can we find them? Um, yeah, so I would. I, w- I know we've spoken a lot today about email marketing, but I'd love to recommend um, uh, my friend uh, Nikki Elbaz. She's fan- brilliant at everything email marketing. So in terms of not just how to set things up properly in the back end, but as well in terms of getting um, how to segment customers, how people um, make decisions through emails, how to connect emails and sequences, and then how to split those sequences into different segments. Um, but then also how how people read and engage with emails and how to break patterns in emails. I think a lot of email marketing is kind of the same. Are you going to buy today? Are you going to buy today? Are you going to buy today? And there's so much more that you could be doing with email, um, with email marketing. So I think it would be fantastic. 
um, superb um, yeah, taking away two things Ed and you shared a lot of wonderful content on today's episode where's the best place that someone can follow you online what's the best social channel uh, LinkedIn LinkedIn would be the best that was episode 256 of Digital Marketing Radio, where Ed and Badani from Greenlight Copy shared three specific tips on writing copy for the web. Number one, write for a specific customer in mind. Number two, counteract objections in the copy. And number three, include as little jargon as possible. Do not sell your products at the top of the funnel. We also talked about that. We talked about how you should sell your authority from the top of the funnel. Don't focus on products, don't so focus on services, focus on your products. Your secret, secret software, Eden, was drafty and wireframing, and you also included attention insight predictive heat map as part of that as well. You're next on the list, email marketing, because you're not doing much of that at the moment, so you wanted to do perhaps a monthly email at some point, and your magical marketer was Nikki Elbaz. Um, we will include links to all of those resources in the show notes at digitalmarketingradio.com. Thanks again so much for coming on. Absolutely wonderful to have you on. I've been your host, David Bain. You can also find me producing podcasts for B2B brands over at castingcred.com. Until we meet again, stay hungry, stay foolish, and stay subscribed. Aloha. DigitalMarketingRadio.com 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 Digital Marketing Radio, digitalmarketingradio.com.